Did you say simple and to the point? That's exactly it, right? Do your words get you in trouble? Sometimes. Sometimes a lot of trouble. Uh, I just want to say that um, I know they don't want to be pointed out, but Carla is my first cousin. She's right there. And her daughter Elizabeth is right next to her. And I was just thinking, when was the last time we were in a worship service together? It's been a long time, has it not? A long time. So I'm just delighted to have them with us and to be a part of this service. Uh, they came down to visit and they're just staying for a little while and I'm just glad they're here. So glad you're part of this today. We are starting a brand new series, My Big Fat Mouth, and Michelle and Elizabeth were painting this sign last night kind of late. And uh, I was watching it come together and I thought, okay, it'll look all right. It really looks good. I like that. So four weeks of this, we're going to talk about four different things. And I think we've got a slide on this, Ross, that kind of shows the, the series itself. But this is where we're going for the next four weeks. The, the first week, this week, we're going to talk about complaining. Now, if you don't complain, it's okay. All right. You can just kind of sit this one out, look at everybody else, point at them and think how bad they are or whatever. If you don't complain, you don't have to worry about this week. If you do have this thing about complaining at least a little, there'll be something here for you. If you complain a lot today is for you. God wanted you here, right? Complaining. Uh, the following week, we're going to talk about criticism. And I don't really mean criticism in the good way. I mean criticism in the bad way, kind of a negative kind of criticism. And so if you, if you kind of lean that way or you know someone that does, that's what next week's about, criticism. Third week is going to be gossip. And we've talked about gossip already, but we're going to spend another week to just deal with gossip and kind of what it is and how we get that out of our lives. And then the fourth week is going to be lying. And so, you know, you can tell just by looking at the slides, there's a big difference because a lot of people tell lies and call it gossip. Okay, if it's a lie, it's a lie. Gossip has to be true. That's what makes it gossip. If it's not true, it's a lie. It's not gossip. And so we'll spend some time talking about that and kind of dividing that up over the next few weeks. But all of it, in one way or the other, is about the words that we say, the things that come out of our mouth, and whether they're true or they're not, whether they're helpful or not. And, and the, the bottom line for all of it for us as people of faith is that God helps us. Remember where we started this service today, reading the words of Jesus, who, who said that it's from our heart, that's where the words come from. Now, I know you say, well, wait a minute, I thought about it and all this kind of thing. But, but when we catch you in unguarded moments, you say what's in your heart. That's what happens. And so it's from your heart, that's where the words are going to come from. And we're going to look at some of this today in Philippians chapter 2. So if you have a Bible and you want to follow along, that's where I'll be reading from, Philippians 2 and... Um, and uh, we'll look closely at that scripture. Now, in the Old Testament, there is a group of people that were the classic complainers. Anybody know who they were just off the top of your head? Well, close, close. They were the Israelites. They were the classic complainers in the Old Testament. These were God's chosen people. Keep that in mind. God's chosen people. They're also over here in the category of the great complainers. So think about what happened to them. They got into Egypt and they became slaves. And they were slaves for 400 years. No one alive, when they were delivered from slavery, no one alive even knew someone who remembered what it was like to be free. Nobody. 400 years, slaves. And then God sends a, a man. He sends 
uh, Moses to talk to them and to talk to the Egyptians and say, let my people go. And that kind of starts the whole process. And through a series of 10 different plagues, God sets the Israelites free. So 10 different plagues, and they come out, over a million of them, they come out of Egypt as free people. Now remember what happens, they don't get very far, they get to the Red Sea, the Egyptians change their mind, they send an army, and then there's that dramatic moment when the wind starts to blow and the, the sea parts and they walk through on dry land, the army of Egypt tries to follow, the water comes in, you know, God drowns the whole army, they're on the other side looking back, thinking about this, they've seen all of that. Okay? Then they make their way out into the desert and they start to complain. They say, we're hungry. We're thirsty. God sends them water out of a rock. I mean, the water just like a spring coming out of the rock. God sends them manna from heaven, which if you don't know what manna is, nobody really does. The word just means, what is it? So this what is it stuff fell out of the sky. And every day they had something to eat. And this went on for 40 years. And yet, in spite of being delivered from slavery, of seeing what they saw with the Red Sea, having water come out of a rock, having manna fall from the sky, all of those things, and these same people were the classic complainers. God had been so good to them, but they still complained about almost everything. Let me read you a scripture that came out of Exodus 14. They said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you led us into the desert to die? How about that for a complaint? Did you just bring us out here to die? You know, what a great guy you are. What have you done by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you, leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. Let us stay slaves. That's what they said. It would have been better for us to serve, serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. That's the complaint. Now, you turn the page, a couple chapters over, and this is how Moses responds. He says, you're not grumbling against us, against Moses, against Aaron. You're not grumbling. You're not complaining against us. You are complaining against the Lord. Now, did that change their complaining? Only for a little while. Only for a little while. Sounds like human nature, doesn't it? So they are the classic complainers. Now, if, you're, if you walked in today and you're already kind of feeling guilty about this, you've been complaining all morning, I'm sorry. I'm just sorry. Like if you woke up and, you know, you got ready and you got here and you drove up and you said, I don't like the parking. And you come in, you go, they don't have my food left and they're out of coffee and these seats are hard and the preacher goes too long. I know how this works. I mean, if that's you, you know, you're you're in the right place because we're talking about complaining today. And that's uh, that's where we go. But it does. It gets more serious than that. So let me give you this question. What in your life do you complain about the most? Please don't answer out loud. I'm just asking, okay? I don't want you to tell. I don't want you to tell on your neighbor. I don't want you to tell them, tell us what they complain about the most. I just want you to think about it. What in the world do you claim, complain about the most? Weather's bad. There's no Wi-Fi. Netflix needs to come up with some original content. What do you complain about most? Family, job, money, whatever it is. We're going to look at some of that today. So let me give you this statement. I think it's on the slide. Complaints grow in the soil of self. That's where they come from. It comes right out of the heart. That's what Jesus said. So we're just kind of rewording that a little bit. The complaints grow. This is the seed it's planted in. This is, this is the soil it's planted in. This is where it comes from. It grows in the seed of self. 
So if you catch yourself complaining a lot, something's happened. You're not looking out here. You're not looking toward God. You're not looking at the blessings that, that God has filled your life with. You're just looking at what do I think? What do I feel? It's going to be related to self. And that's where complaints grow best. You take your eyes off of the good things and start looking at that. Now, let me read the scripture. This is out of Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to start reading at verse 14. And it's, it, it just hits us hard. It starts this way. Ready? Do all things without grumbling or disputing, without complaining, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world. Holding fast the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain, nor toll in vain. But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I will rejoice and share my joy with you all. Let's pause here and pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for giving us the kind of clear statements that just reflect back to us who we need to be. And so we ask you, God, to help us think about our words and how it relates to our faith and how it should make a difference in our lives today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so there it is right at the beginning. Do everything without complaining, period. Okay, I'm done. No, I'm not done. But that's it, right? That's the whole thing. That's the whole message from the Scripture. It's everything we just read. There's a few other things that we want to talk about and kind of pull that out. But that's it. Do everything. Everything you're supposed to do. Everything God wants you to do. Do all of that without grumbling, without complaining, period. Let me give you some reasons to do it, and I'll do these fast. These may be the fastest five points you ever hear me preach. You ready for this? All right, fastest five that I ever do. But number one, repeated complaining hardwires the brain to do more complaining. You can see that pattern all through the Bible, especially if you go back and read what we were referring to earlier, the Israelites out in, in the desert, those kind of things. As they complained, they complained more. So kind of think about how your own brain, brain works. You do something, and if that something works out good for you, what do you want to do? You want to do it again, right? Same thing. I eat key lime pie. It's good. What do I want? I want more key lime pie. Right? It works. If I complain and it works... What do I want to do? I'll complain again. Some of you raise children. You've seen this, right? If your children complain and they fuss and they get what they want, do they stop complaining and fussing? No. They just keep doing it again and again. It's, it's kind of the way our brain works. Now, what if you grew up like that? What if you grew up for the time you could speak, you started fussing and complaining and, and it just kind of worked for you and, and now you're you know, 25, 30 years old, you've been doing this your whole life. How hard is it going to be to break out of that? That's what we're talking about today. And it is your faith and it is the power that God gives us through His Spirit that helps us to change in something as simple as that. But repeated complaining, it's one of those ways we, we make those connections in our brain. We just kind of hardwire our brain and it leads to more complaining. Now, number two, we find it easier to be negative rather than positive. So are you one of those people that wake up in the morning and, it, and you say... Um, Good Lord, it's morning. Or do you say, good morning, Lord? Right? One, one's positive, one's negative. You just kind of bring that into your day. Is this, is this one of those things I'm thankful for? Or I just, I got to get up out of bed today. Negative and positive. And you'll find people, they tend to gravitate, gravitate one way or the other. You've heard me say before that the world's full of givers and takers. 
Givers, givers tend to be more positive people. Takers tend to be more negative people. You'll see it over and over again. And, and if you live with someone who's a giver, it's a wonderful thing. If you live with someone who's a taker, it's going to be a little tough for you at times. But that's how it works. So you find it easier if you complain a lot to be more negative than positive. Let me do the third one real quick. It's called confirmation bias. And there's been all kinds of studies on this. Confirmation bias, and, and it just means that you interpret your circumstances based on these preconceived ideas. And so let me just state that another way. You find what you are looking for. That's what it means. You find what you're looking for. So before you got here today, you had in your mind what you were going to find when you got here. You just kind of had a, an idea. Now, now, maybe Carla didn't because she's never been here before, so... Who knows? But all of you kind of had an idea of what it was going to be like when you got here today. So some of you, maybe you were thinking, all right, I'm going to get there. I'm going to get me some breakfast and there's going to be music and we're just going to have a great time together. And when you get here, what do you find? All of those things and more. But if you're on the other side, that's what you find, too. You're like, I can't believe I'm doing this again. No one made you be here. I don't think there's anyone that was forced to be here. But if you didn't want to be here today and for some reason you just kind of had to, you know, you find what you're looking for. People are not friendly. People are not nice. The coffee's terrible. You know, you find what you look for. That's kind of the preconceived idea. So, for example, when you meet people, do you expect the best from them or do you expect the worst? Maybe you say, well, I don't expect anything from anybody. Well, okay, but most of us are not that way. We expect either something good out of people or we don't. Uh, you can imagine which one I am, right? What do you think I am? Good. I do. Like, you got to prove me wrong, you know. I'm going to expect the best out of you every single time. And, and, and even, if you, even if you do something I don't like, I'm, I'm still going to just come back with, I'm still expecting the best. And you're going to have to prove me wrong, and you're going to have to prove me wrong multiple times, because I'm just never going to give up on you. That's, that's the positive thing. People, people get upset with me because I'm so positive for so long. But that's just my personality. It's the way God made me. And... Uh, and that's just the way I work. But it, it, again, it's confirmation bias. You find in people and you find in things what you're looking for. You expect it and you start to see it. If you think, you know, your job is bad, it's going to be bad. If you think there's some good in it and I can do some good in it, you're going to find that in the things that you do over and over again. Confirmation bias. Now, let me do the next one. Number four. It's the power of change. The power of change. If you can change your circumstances, why wouldn't you do that? Right? If you've got the ability to change it, you've got the ability to do something about it, why not try to do that? Again, that's the power of choice for you. The power of choice. Anything that's going on in your life right now and you want it to be different, if you have the power to do something about that, all of that is your choice. That's all we're saying. What I noticed, and Justin and I spent some time talking about this, uh, something called um, learned helplessness. Remember that, Justin? We talked about learned helplessness. And that's just basically where, especially with children, they grow up and, and what they learn is that, you know, I can't do anything about my circumstances. Now, sometimes that's true, but most of the time it is not the truth. Most of the time that's not true. And, and, and maybe for a six-year-old it is, but by the time they're 16 or 26 or 36, that's long gone. And so they have the power of choice. They can, they can do something else with their life. And it's just if they've learned the helplessness, they get stuck. And they continue to say, I can't do anything different. I can't change it. 
one of the things that Jesus did for us was that he taught us in so many different ways that we do have the ability to choose, the ability to have a different kind of life. So, for example, uh, I'll talk about giving. So we got, you know, offering plates for my kid down here. I love that. It's just fun to me. The scripture teaches that all of us are givers. Every one of us. You say, well, I don't have much. You don't have to have much. You're still a giver. He made you that way. And so whether you have a little or you have a lot, the fact that you give reminds you of who you are. You are a steward. You are a giver. God is a giver. He made you a giver. And when you give, you act a little bit like God. So that's how that works. And it shows the power of choice for you. Um, I guess I'm thinking about older things because family's here. But do you remember the building that was built at Bethlehem in 1984. Remember all that? And there was a building program, and they were taking up money, and Michelle and I had, you know, no money. We didn't, we didn't have money. Uh, we were teenagers, and other people were given large amounts of money to help build this building, and, you know, and I had like $5 bill or something like that, and I needed some of that for lunch or whatever. Lunch was cheap back then. But that, that's what I do. I take just a little bit of money that I had, and I'd give toward the building program. And then what I found was when the building started to be built, I felt like I was invested in it. I felt like I was part of something. I felt like I was contributing to something that God was doing with our church, even though I just had a, a few dollars to put into it. You see what I mean? But it was a choice I was able to make. Uh, a way I was able to participate. That's what I'm saying. It's the power of choice. If you can change your circumstances, do something about it. Great example in the Bible, Nehemiah. So Nehemiah's over in Babylon. He's been over there a long, long time. He hears that in Jerusalem, back where his people came from, that everything's destroyed. The temple's destroyed. The walls of the city are down. And he thinks to himself, what if I ask? What if I ask the king to go back and build the wall? What if I do that? And he did. And he got permission to go back, to travel back to Jerusalem and start building the walls again. So he found a circumstance that he didn't like. He found a circumstance where there was a great need. And he made a choice to see if he could even do something about it. Once he had the okay to do that, he traveled back and he started rebuilding the wall. When he got to Jerusalem, started rebuilding the wall, these people come out of the woodwork, so to speak. And all they do is complain and make fun of him. But he didn't quit. And he didn't go home. He just kept going. And what I'm trying to say to you is when you make the choice to do something different, when you make the choice to, to change, when you do that, you may find your calling. You may find some of the very things that God has for you because you made that choice, you took those steps, and He started leading you in a whole new direction. So that's number four, the power of choice. Now, number five, the power of perspective. This is the exact opposite. So with the power of choice, you can do something about your circumstances, so do it. With the power of perspective, let's say it's something you can't change. You don't have the ability to change that circumstance. But what you can do is change your perspective. You can change the way you look at it. You can change the way you see it. You can ask God. You can look at something that's very difficult in your life and you can say, God, help me to understand this from your point of view. Do that for me, God. That's what I need. I need a whole new perspective. Let me read again two of those verses that we read a few moments ago. So this is verse 17 and verse 18. I don't know if we have a slide on or not. But, but just listen to what Paul says. Now keep in mind, Paul wanted to go to Rome and he wanted to be a preacher. Instead, he went to Rome as a prisoner. 
He is chained to a Roman guard for two years of his life. You know, he, he wasn't the guy they left in the cell. They actually chained him to someone. So he's chained to a Roman guard for two years of his life. He wants to be a preacher. He wants to travel around. He wants to share the gospel. And he's kind of just chained to this guy. And every day they swap out. And he's chained to another guy. And you kind of feel for the guard, right? <laughs> yeah, you kind of feel for the guard. He's chained to the Apostle Paul. But that's a different perspective, right? That's seeing what you're chained to in a different light. And Paul could have taken the complaint option. You know, he could have said, God, I've tried to serve you. I've tried to do the right things. I've tried to honor you. And this is what I get. This is my life. This is my circumstance. I thought you blessed people that served you, God. And I'm chained to this. That's what he could have said. Instead, he said this. But even if, but even if I am poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad. I rejoice with all of you. So you should too. Be glad and rejoice with me. That's a whole different perspective, is it not? For a man who's chained to a soldier, to a man who doesn't know if he's going to get out of this alive, that's a whole new way of thinking. And then he tells the church, he says, I want you to rejoice and be glad with me. I'm, I'm glad about this. I want you to be glad about it. That's a whole new perspective. He talks about being poured out like a drink offering. Now, that may not make a lot of sense to you, but to Paul, he was, he was pulling from his background. He was communicating something that, that comes from that Jewish history, from the sacrificial system. So this is the way it would work. A drink offering, they would bring the animal up and it would be part of the sacrifice. And then they would take the best, most expensive wine that they had. Best, most expensive wine. And they would literally just pour it on top of the altar. Just let that whole thing just be burned up. Poured out like a drink offering. It's a wonderful word in Greek. It's called spendo. Spend. Some of y'all say that when you shop. Spend. Oh, yeah. That's the whole word. Spendo. But it means to be poured out. To be used up in a sacrifice and worship to God. That's how Paul saw himself. Now some people say, well he's talking about his ultimate death. That he would be a, a martyr. That he, he would lay his life down in the service of God. That's what he's thinking about. But that's not the way he said it. He said, I am being poured out. Not I will be poured out, but I am being poured out. He didn't see his death as an offering that would honor God. He saw his life as an offering. That would honor God. That his whole life would be like a drink offering poured out in worship to God. That's how he saw it. It's not something that's going to happen at the end where you go out with a bang. Nothing like that. It's going to be the way you live every single day. That's how he saw his life. That's the lesson he gives to us about complaining. So think of it like this. He could have complained. We wouldn't really argue with him if he did. But he did the exact opposite. He chose to rejoice, and he did that because of his perspective, the way he changed the way he looked at his own life and what was going on. He knew that he was not the center of this story, but Jesus is. Can you just let that soak in for a moment? Everything's about Jesus, right? Remember how Revelation puts it? There's a throne in the center of heaven, and there's one who sits on the throne. And everything else in a complete circle revolves around the one in the middle. 
So it is Jesus Christ. He is the Lamb of God. He is God. And He is at the center of all things. That is reality. That is the truth. When it comes to your life, you're not the center. He is. And your, your part in this is to worship Him. Your part in this is to take your life, all your time, all your opportunities, all your gifts, all your resources, everything that's been kind of placed within your hands, and you take that and you offer that to Him as an act of worship because He's the center of all things. Not you, not me. Let me back up and read you a verse that we didn't read earlier. In chapter 1 of Philippians, and by the way, again, i got family here, so I think about these old things. Years ago, uh, it was sometime in the 80s, we had a guy come to our church named Perry Neal. Michelle, you remember Perry Neal? Carla, you remember Perry Neal? Okay, so Perry Neal was from Perry, Florida. Great, right? You just can't make that stuff up. Perry Neal from Perry, Florida. He came to our church and he did a revival. And he mentioned this. He said, you should read a chapter of Philippians every single day. And then read a chapter of Proverbs every single day. And then read a chapter of Psalms every single day so you know they all have p so psalms proverbs philippians if you do that and i try to do that for a long time in my life you go through philippians fast <laughs> like you go through it you're going through it every week you know you just keep going through philippians and it's such an encouraging letter and it's it's extremely encouraging because of what paul's going through in his life and how he writes about it but here's chapter one if you've never heard this this is the guy chained to the roman guard who doesn't know if he's going to survive doesn't know if he's going to live through this whole thing it's that guy this is what he says i want you to know brothers and sisters that what happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel as a result it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that i am in chains for christ that's how he sees it that's how he knows. So he, he comes to understand his circumstances as a way of honoring God. That he wanted to bring the gospel one way, but God wanted to bring the gospel another way. And if it included some, you know, let's call it suffering on his part, he had learned not to see it that way, but to see it a different way. So here's what I'm asking you today. What are you chained to? I mean, we're all kind of like Paul in some way. What are you chained to? Circumstance you can't alter. If you feel like you're stuck in a job in some way, you feel chained to it. If you can't change that circumstance, then ask God to help you change your perspective. Health things. I see this all the time, people's health. You feel like you're chained to a health condition. You know, you, you, it's not going to get better, and you can get medical help, but it's not going to go away, and this is going to be reality for you for the rest of your life. You're just, you're just chained to it. But that doesn't mean you give up. It doesn't mean that you just take the road of complaining. You ask God to help change your perspective of what you're going through. Some tragedy hits your life. You know, someone you love is taken away or something you love is taken away. You know, and it's, it's never going to come back. It's never going to be undone. When those kind of things happen, you know, again, you can't do anything about the circumstance. Instead, you say, God, how do I see it from your point of view? A chain of, it's a change of perspective. Again, that's what we're talking about. What are you chained to and how do you change it? So Paul says it here, and there's a group of people in the Old Testament that say it as well. Mm -hmm. They say, even if, even if. So Paul says, even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering, I'm going to rejoice, going to be glad. And there's a group of people in the Old Testament, I think there's a picture of them. Yeah, just a little... 
reminder of them. Those three guys in the fire, remember their names? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Yeah, they, they were going to be thrown in the fiery furnace. They were going to be thrown in the fire because they wouldn't do what the king wanted them to do. They just wouldn't do it. And right before they get thrown in, they're very polite. They're very respectful about it. But they just say, you know, Mr. Great King, um, we're not going to do what you want us to do. And our God can save us from your fire. But even if he does not, we want you to know that we're going to honor him. That's even if kind of faith. At some point, every one of you will be there. At some point, you'll all face a circumstance where you have to say, God could take this away from me. God could deliver me from this. But even if he doesn't, he's still good. And I'm going to keep serving him. That's an even if kind of faith. And that's what I'm asking you to consider today. There is a scripture that King David wrote is Psalm 103. I love that Psalm. We were talking about the Psalms a few weeks ago. But this is Psalm 103. This is David. And he said, Let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things He does for me. He forgives all my sins. He heals all my diseases. He redeems me from death. And He crowns me with love and tender mercies. He fills my life with good things. If you know very much about David, you know there were a lot of things that would not be considered good things that came to him, but that's not where his focus stayed. He focused in a different direction. He understood that God had filled his life in a broken, beat-up world. God filled his life with good things. So what are you chained to? You need God to help you change that perspective? That's what we're thinking about today. That, that changes the complaints. And it turns them into something else. So here's my challenge. I just want to give this to you before we, we stand and we pray. Could you today, and some of you may be ready for that. Could you today, would you be ready for the kind of heart change, the internal change that has to happen that ends complaining? Uh, some of you may remember this. It's been months ago now. But I shared a message with you and I simply said, what would it be like if you never said another bad thing about anybody ever? What would it be like if you never said another negative thing about anybody ever? Some of you are thinking, I'd never speak. <laughs> but what would it be like? So let's, let's just twist that a little bit. What would it be like if you never complained again? Again, some of us go, that, there goes the rest of my words. <laughs> but what would it be like if you never complained again? If you... If you it doesn't mean bad things won't happen to you and difficult things won't come your way, but what would it be like if you, if you always paused long enough to say, God, help me see this different or help me do something about it, but I'm just going to live my life and I'm just not going to complain. I'm not going to grumble, not going to complain about what's here because nothing good ever comes out of that. Complaining doesn't solve the problem. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to honor you. And I'm going to ask you to help me understand what I'm going through in the right way. What would it be like if you never complained again? It'd probably change your life. And I'll tell you, it'll change the life of somebody around you. That's what it'll do. Only God can do that kind of work in us. Like you could decide it in your mind today and you say, that's what I'm going to do. I heard the preacher say that. That's what I'm going to do. But the truth is, you're going to need more than that. You're going to need some help from God. And so that's what we're going to do in the next few moments. We're going to stand together.
I'm going to lead us in a prayer for everybody. And I just want you to have a few moments to just respond to God. You can pray where you're standing. If you want to come forward and have someone pray with you, I'll be standing right here. I'll be glad to pray with you as well. But just take a few moments and take that to God. If he's put it in your mind, if he's put it in your heart, you just take that to God. Let's stand together for prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for the example of this man named Paul. All that he went through and the way that he looked at it and the way you changed his perspective is just striking. It's just amazing. God, I recognize that in this room, many of us today, these are things that we struggle with. We see the circumstances. We hear it. We see it. We feel it. And we just complain about it. And it never solves anything. And so we ask you to do a work in our lives to help us, to change us, to show us when we can do something about it and also show us when we need to change our perspective. God, I give you these next few moments. I pray that each person will bring these matters to you. We give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm -hmm.